Welcome to the Lead More Podcast. I'm your host, John T. Meyer. The Lead More Podcast is the show where we sit down with leaders of today to help inspire and create the leaders of tomorrow. Because I believe the world needs more leaders. And in episode 49, I sit down with journalist Jackie Hendry of South Dakota Public Broadcasting. We sit down and talk about what was it like to be a journalist during the pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic, Jackie covered the, the healthcare beat and was in all those press conferences and, and conversations talking about metrics and hospital beds and all that craziness. We talk about why she became a journalist, when she knew she wanted to be one, and how she has interviewed leaders, what she's learned about leaders through interviews, through through stories and how she has to you know, take their words and then share them with the state and the broader audience. It was a really fascinating conversation, a great perspective on being a journalist today in 2021, which is not an easy job. And Jackie does it really well. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation, episode 49 with Jackie Hendry. All right, welcome to another episode of the Lead More Podcast. I'm here with Jackie Hendry from South Dakota Public Broadcasting. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm excited to, uh, to put you on the other side of the table. I know, it's weird. <laughs> usually, usually you're doing this. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you can tell that Jackie has a, a, a voice for radio, that's what she does. So <laughs> Better than a face for radio, I guess. <laughs> And uh, how long have you been a journalist? Is this your first journalism gig, or have you had others? Yeah, um, the the reporting gig with SDPB, the Health and Education Beat Reporter, that was my first full-time okay. uh, uh, journalism gig out of school. Yeah, and you went the route of uh, journalism school through USD? Yes, yep, yeah, journalism school through USD. My first and only ever internship was with SDPB, oh, no because way. they're right down the hall from yeah, yeah, our yeah. media program, and then uh, the intern-to-job pipeline worked really well for me. So. Nice. <laughs> We we try to leverage that here at Lemonly too. Yeah. Did you want to? Um, did you go to USD saying like I want to be a journalist? Yes. Um, a, a little bit of my history. I'm actually from uh, Roscoe, Illinois, kind of uh-huh. north central Illinois. And uh, when I was I think 13, my folks and I went on a road trip eventually to Yellowstone, but we passed through South Dakota and spent a few days in the Black Hills. Yeah. And um, I just like fell in love with South Dakota, and a big piece of that was we went to the Crazy Horse Memorial. Uh-huh. And that was kind of my first uh, exposure to like native cultures and histories and things. And I was just like, oh my gosh, all these stories that I didn't know. And uh, that inspired me to kind of go the the journalism route. And uh, that through an email list with Crazy Horse, I learned about USD, figured out I could double major in journalism and native studies yeah. in my undergrad. And yeah. that's what I ended up doing and wow. picked up that internship. I hopefully realized that. Vermilion is not close to the Black Hills, right? No, yeah, as everyone said. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Different landscape for sure. Yeah, so. <laughs> but that's cool. And I, I found that too, looking, doing my homework, that you made a documentary um, <laughs> about Native, or it was called NA, NATV 101. Native, yep, Native 101. 101. Tell me about that. So the funny thing about <laughs> going to USD to major Native studies is I happened to go at a very, uh, uh, a very transitional point in that program okay. at USD. And there was a lot of kind of turmoil. Like yeah. we were down to just a handful of majors. And uh, it just seemed, at first we just had one professor and then she left partway through my undergrads. So then we had no dedicated oh, wow. Native Studies professors. So you taught yourself. <laughs> yeah, and it was one of those things where it's like, wow, I, I like moved all all that way from home and went through these experiences for this program largely. And yeah. it's not at all what I expected. Yeah. 
And so now I'm happy to say now that uh, that has gone through some reform, I happen to be able to kind of track the hiring process of a couple of new professors and okay. like really engage in what it means to make that kind of academic program. And uh, it, it was a good, uh, it was a really good training exercise, especially in doing stories that uh, certain people in certain positions might uh, not be thrilled with what I uncovered in sure. that process. Sure, interesting. Um, but it, it's something I still think back on sometimes when I work on stories for SDTV. And that was a documentary, like a video, like a, yeah. like a show. Like exactly. A, okay, yeah. interesting. Yep. I was a I was a one man band. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to ask next. Did you did you as so you wanted to be a journalist? Yeah. Like even at a young age, or when would that when did that start? Uh, that kind of kicked off honestly. It, like around eighth grade, I had a project to think about what do you want to be when you grow up. Yeah. And I, I mainly wanted to be like a writer, an author. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my practical parents were like, "That's wonderful. <laughs> uh, maybe you should also do something that will feed you regularly." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yep. I was just like. Well, I can also write as a journalist, which pays just a little bit more than author sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's still on the bottom half. <laughs> so that kind of put me on that track, but it's it's ended up being being. And really did you fit. think radio, or that was more like the opportunity in Vermilion? That was more the op- I fell into radio kind of by accident, yeah. but I ended up really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think about the media landscape in 2021 with, say, public broadcasting? Like, where does it fit in all the? You know, we have, of course, TV, newspaper. You know, radio, but then mm-hmm. we have blogs, we have social media. Like, where do you think right. the public broadcasting piece fits? I think public broadcasting truly is like the unsung hero of the media landscape right now. Hmm. Because I'm thinking of, you know, we've got incredible journalists in the state doing incredible work, but people get hung up on the paywall. And, yep. you know, I fully believe in, you know, pay for your local journalism, support yep, yep. it. But also, if that's for whatever reason a hang up for you, public broadcasting doesn't have that necessarily. Yep, yep. It's, it's all wide out there for you to access. And public broadcasting is able to serve areas that other commercial places probably aren't going to work very hard yeah. to serve. And I yeah. hear stories about, especially in certain rural areas of western South Dakota, where SDPB is the only kind of news-based network that they can even pick up Interesting. where they are. Yeah. And I think that's an incredible beautiful service hmm. that we can provide. Interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's, that's fascinating. <laughs> and you said that's part of what you really enjoyed about this role is you get to cover all the corners of the yeah. state. Yeah, And statewide. pre-COVID, you were traveling everywhere. And- yes. Yeah, because, you know, that, that early hope of, you know, journalism, native studies, especially wanting to go out into more rural communities and uh, kind of, you know, shed that light for folks that aren't as familiar with the wonderful kind of community nature and the very unique struggles that happen in those areas. Like that's what I get jazzed about. Yeah. 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 So talk about that. So obviously you're not, um, you know, you haven't, you haven't lived it firsthand. You're more as a, as a, as a journalist and an outsider, but pretty well versed in that. What, Mm -hmm. what makes that part of South Dakota's history so unique and why do we need to tell those stories? Uh, Like I just get burned by that flyover country kind of mentality. And so, uh, (laughs) When uh, so last year, remember when uh, Smithfield closed down? Yeah, that ended up being a huge national story, and yeah. that actually happened to be the first story that I filed for national NPR. Oh, cool! Um, and so I was kind of nervous. It was like over the weekend, I didn't know what I was doing, and I ended up being <laughs> on the phone with this national editor from his home office in Maryland, and he mm-hmm. like walked me through this process, and he was really cool. And at the end, he says, "Well, you know, congratulations on your first file with us," and he says, "You know." Uh, big news doesn't always happen in South Dakota, but when it does, we're glad to have good people on the ground. Yeah. And like, 
you know, I get that he meant it as like a pod, like yeah, a compliment yeah. to me, but I hung up and it just like kind of irritated me. I'm sure. like, stuff happens here all the time. All the time, yeah. We got to tell those stories. Right. Interesting. Um, so talk about, like I said before we hit record, COVID has, has made its way into every single episode of the show, I think 50 episodes in. Um, how has it changed your job as a journalist? I mean, you still were always in a studio mm-hmm. uh, for the the recording part, but right. you also were out in the field often. Yeah. Um, I ended up actually working, doing a lot of work from home just because things were kind of, kind of hedgy. If, yeah. if you didn't have to be in studio, you were able to work from home uh, for us. And we're like just this summer going to start kind of edging back into the studio. Um, and did you feel, was, was SDPB pretty well equipped to go remote like that? I mean, I've been on um, tech radio now for like 11 years. Yeah. And that was always pretty easy for us. Just like you just got a phone call. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, it wasn't it wasn't high tech, but it worked. Like you just answer right. the phone call and then you speak. Yeah, um, uh, for for kind of the the tendrils of the broadcast, it worked really well. But for like hosting, like um, my colleague Lori Walsh, we had to figure out how to like the, all the technical and like the security aspects. Yeah, being technically part of state government and sure. that sort of thing, and and getting her whole home studio worked out and making sure the internet was gonna <laughs> last for a two hour broadcast. Yeah, so uh, it. It's, I don't know all the technical ins and outs. I know it was a heavy lift. <laughs> yeah, and. Getting access to sources, mm-hmm. was that easier, harder, about the same? Um, it, it definitely was a bigger challenge just because, like, I know I, other folks weren't as hesitant. I was still kind of hesitant about even going out mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. and part of that was because being the healthcare reporter, I was in on these calls constantly. Yeah. And understanding kind of the depth of the unknowns yep. made me personally a little nervous. Yeah. Um, so, but it did. I, I got a lot better at using social media <laughs> yeah. for that sourcing, which is something that we need to be doing anyways in a lot of cases. But yeah, yeah. so let's go there because that's one of the places I wanted to start with or focus on today was South Dakota and the importance of journalism during a global pandemic, mm-hmm. and especially I think it's fair to say in a state where we had some polarizing opinions. Yeah. So how, yeah, how did you feel? Did you feel like you were able to get access as a journalist? And what did you feel like your role was as like a healthcare reporter during this time? Mm-hmm. I know there are other, uh, especially Sioux Falls-based journalists, like I'm thinking of uh, Mackenzie Huber at like the Argus Leader and, yeah. and folks who um, were able to tell like really incredible human stories through access that I ended up just not getting because I was trying to stay. Sure. Like we, it was it was different focuses yeah. and trying to, to yep. figure out that balance between telling stories for a statewide network and then also living in one of the state's early real hotspots yeah, in this yeah. situation. Like about this time last year, yeah. Right, exactly. Um, sorry, can you repeat the question? Yeah, again? no, no, I was just thinking about it's kind of a broad question, but yeah. what, you know, I'm trying to think through like did we did you feel like as a journalist you were getting the information from the state of South Dakota that you needed to that the citizens needed to hear? Uh, it it was a push sometimes. And that was another thing that I needed to learn as still fairly a fairly green journalist was moving past that feeling of discomfort and not wanting to, you know, ruffle any feathers necessarily, yeah. but just be like, I'm going to ask this question and I can tell you're kind of dancing around it a little bit. Yep. So I'm going to ask it again yeah. more directly yeah. and see what you say. Yeah. And, then, and then what do you do if you don't feel like you get that answer? Then you're straight up with that <laughs> in the story. In the story, yeah. Yeah. Because I think in particular that, at that Smithfield time a year ago, it, it seemed like the city of Sioux Falls versus the state out of Pierre 
we're sort of telling different stories. Mm-hmm. Like it seemed like opinions were a little bit different or what the mayor wanted to do versus the governor. Right. Did you sort of, how do you, how do you tell that? Like there's a lot of nuance in that. There is. And it's tricky, especially when you're trying to write like a 90 second news spot <laughs> and it's like, Oh <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why I personally do like radio or in this case, a podcast is like, you can actually get nuance mm-hmm. through audio, right? through a voice or exactly. you can hear it in somebody's tone. Right. Yeah. And that's a lot of what I relied on. Cause you know, audiences are smart. I think people can understand when uh, they're being spun to. Sure. Uh, and I'm 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 thinking of certain times, and especially during COVID, I and building up that kind of social media presence a little bit. I started having uh, doctors or people with medical experience reaching out to me, kind of saying, uh-huh. uh, "Ask about if they're counting NICU beds in their ICU bed count." For example, that was a tip I got from a doctor. And so to I, boost those numbers, right? Or and so I asked that in one of the COVID uh, health department calls, and they couldn't answer me. Hmm. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then the their spokesperson got back to me after the fact, and so just even even that alone made people raise their eyebrows. Yeah. And then a few weeks later, they updated the dash. <laughs> and they had split out the NICU beds and the adult ICU beds and things Interesting. like that. Yeah. Interesting. Well, good job. And, then, and, <laughs> and and for like the listener, right, to like bring that forward to you, the doctor. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, I don't blame anybody for not knowing for all the varying opinions of what metric is the key metric. Mm-hmm. You know, first it was, yeah, like hospital bed availability. And then we ran all these models and saw charts and graphs. And, right. And I don't blame anybody in the world for not knowing. That's what made it a, a novel virus but then it did seem like sort of the numbers or the charts became a little bit um weaponized almost or like used right. to kind of tell their own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a and it's a fair point that you know some of there was a wide ranging uh window of potential deaths that we would see in South Dakota. Yeah. And that was one of the early press conferences and me and other reporters kept asking, like, you say you have this formula, what does that equal for what you're anticipating? Yeah, you wanted, like, the formula, right? And they never right. shared that. They shared the formula, but they wouldn't tell us the answer. Okay. And it's like, say, we wanted them to, like, say the number, yeah. and and they got a little testy with us and says, here's the formula, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, all right. And sure, we, we did not go to the high range of that formula, but we did uh, exceed the low range of it. Yeah. So... I mean, these are these are things that help people kind of make their decisions for how they're going to move yeah. forward. Was it difficult as a journalist and even like a team department to to tell? Like, did you feel like every story had to be about COVID? Like, I just felt like there was a lot of COVID fatigue, yes. but also like it felt weird to talk about anything but COVID. That's exactly it, and especially being the healthcare reporter, like I like my loved ones like were able to tell. And actually, I was putting together when we hit the one-year mark of when yeah. COVID was first announced in South Dakota. I was yeah. going back through all my stories and creating sort of a timeline, and I listened back to audio from a report I did within like the first week, and then a report I did on diminishing hospital capacity in, I think, October, November, when okay. things were looking really dire. Yeah, when we were really struggling. Yeah. And I could hear it in my voice. Huh. Like, I sounded like a different person. Wow. And... Just the way, and I'm I'm still just starting to kind of process all of that. Yeah. And the fact is, I was looking at other jobs outside of journalism towards the end of last year, just because I didn't know how sure. much longer I could do that. Yeah. And then this new position ended up opening up, and huh. good for you. Good for <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, I feel that way across all industries and all sectors that like mm. 2021 is going to be this. I've been kind of calling it a year of change. Totally. 
just because how can you not change for what we all went through, right? And yeah. so so people are changing jobs, they're changing careers, they're moving, they're picking up new hobbies, they're leaving old hobbies, they're changing their friends. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how can you not? And I'm sure we, some of us were able to, at certain times, just sort of kind of huddle into our house and, and try to avoid this as much as possible. But you had to, like, you were talking about it every day, reading about right. it, learning about it. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot I, of fatigue. I couldn't get out of it. Yeah. And in some ways, I, I would get kind of testy and yeah. with people who... There, this wasn't their lives, and yeah. I just wanted to shake them and say, <laughs> "Look <Yeah>. at this." <laughs> yeah. Well, let's transition because I think um, media and journalism was already in in sort of uh, under the microscope before mm. we had a global pandemic, which right. just added to that kind of hot mess. <laughs> but tell us about your new role and sort of what you're doing there, because I think that kind of moves us to the next topic. Yeah. So, uh, like I said before, I kind of fell into radio. My first love was documentaries and visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. So, starting in radio really helped me, you know, hone my creativity as a writer and thinking of other ways to tell a story without relying on the visuals. Yeah. Which I'm really grateful to and really enjoyed that challenge. And then it just so happened that uh, last fall, one of our our longtime hosts of South Dakota Focus decided to take another opportunity. And that was something that I'd kind of in the back of my head, I was just like, oh, like. And tell the listeners what that show is. Just Yeah, so that is our, uh, uh, it used to be weekly. We're we're kind of paring it down, figuring out what it's going to look like now. But our statewide uh, one-hour public affairs talk show. And uh, it's zero commercial breaks. You have yeah. <laughs> a full, uninterrupted 56 yeah. minutes, 46 seconds. Usually, the kind of guest driven, right? Yeah, usually guest driven. And we're starting to do more kind of pre recorded, uh, almost like feature stories, almost like mini docs yeah. and little segments there. Cool. Mm-hmm. And, and how that's been, what did you say, three months? You yeah, I, I officially got that job in January. And okay. then we had to jump right into the legislative <laughs> session. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, I guess you kind of missed at least the. You got the tail end of the election, or you got the inauguration, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, which that was a, a lot of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how do you feel in that role about like, what do you feel like the South Dakotans' view on journalism and media is instead of going broadly nationally? We'll just talk about South Dakota first. Yeah. Um, I think it's very interesting to me because SDPB has some really devoted uh, members and enthusiasts and. We're actually just this week starting to untangle. We uh, received a grant from, uh, I believe it's the Corporation of Public Broadcasting. Someone will correct me when they hear this. Sure, sure. (laughs) But we were able to collect a lot of data about people who listen to us, where they fall on the political spectrum, what their age and and, and sex and location are and things like this. And really, we're we're reasonably well spread out on those spectrums, which is is nice. Um, And uh, let's see. Do you feel that like did it did it uh, between either uh, a big contentious election or the pandemic did did people were people more willing to support South Dakota about broadcasting was it less I mean there's this idea that we can't trust the media right, right. and and sort of our, it's our been mobilized but. our pledge drive during the pandemic was incredible I'm trying this was this was I think sometime in the winter one one of our pledge drives during the pandemic we exceeded our goal sure and people were leaving just the most wonderful comments about I've been stuck at home and you have been kind of my companion through this time. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly like the the mission that I wanted to serve yeah. when I got into this field. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think audio particularly when you think about the programming from you know it's not just news and if there's classics and and jazz and 
Yeah. You know, we do tech and like all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. The power of the human voice. And that gets lost in, I think, like this 24-hour cable news channel. Like, I'm flippant with sharing my opinion that that has, like, done more harm than good in a lot of ways to yeah. public perceptions of journalism because it's it's so easy to blur the line and not completely understand, is this just like a, an opinion program yeah. or is this actual journalism? And that has yeah. been a problem. But what I love about radio is stepping, getting a little distance from that, mm -hmm. just focusing on hearing the humanity of a person's voice. And when I student taught in grad school, I would use some of those like story core uh, yeah, examples. Yeah, yeah. Those are just uh, sort of oral histories that get archived in the Library of Congress. And it's, you know, I'll show the the transcript of it for them and they'll read it. But then I'll play like this gravelly voice of an older man <laughs> talking about riding on the subway yeah. and this. And I'm like, that's a totally different element. Yeah. Or you hear the clinks of a, a coffee mugs like yeah. at a coffee shop or you know all mm -hmm. those little is that is that when you talked about having to being more of a visuals journalist having to learn audio are those the sort of tips and tricks or yeah like I, I think it's it's so important like they they say when you first start in radio especially if you're not used to it um like go to the space you're in and close your eyes so like right now we're sitting here in Lemonly and I have my eyes closed and I can kind of hear my voice sort of echoing. It's an open space. Like I'm mm -hmm. hearing just a little bit of like ticky tacks of a keyboard way over there. And it like <laughs> gives me a sense of space. Yeah. And that transports people into the story. I like that. And that's good. There, <laughs> there's, and now I'm trying to think differently because now I spent a couple years not having to think about the visuals. Now, when I'm trying to think about a more like cerebral story about civics education or something like that, I'm like, oh man, what are we going to do? About it? <laughs> so <laughs> now it's going back to kind of my, my brain's hometown of thinking yeah. how I'm going to get a shot. Sure. Yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> do you find that like, do you think there's a difference between radio and like podcast? I think that difference might be closing. And I think that's to the benefit of radio, to okay. be honest. Um, I think uh, this sort of renaissance of podcasting is getting people excited about that human voice and that storytelling. And the more we can remind people that long form storytelling, like you hear on NPR, yeah. has existed since before yeah, you started. Thing, yeah. yeah. Um, we're kind of a home base for that. True. And, and uh, you know, my, <laughs> my, my boyfriend, he started listening to NPR more since we got together. Yeah, because, sure, sure. Thanks, honey. <laughs> and, and now he's just like, oh, I didn't know this and I've learned so much. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> yeah, people, I mean, yeah, you do have, uh, like you said, a loyal following people who don't, who leave that on the dial and just don't touch it. Yep. Ever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's fascinating. And I think because of the rise of podcasts, I would think radio will benefit because, you know, the tech, the medium is just often going to our ears, which is really interesting because it's not a new technology. But you have AirPods and Bluetooth headphones and um, you know Alexa home speakers, and, and, and it seems like people are just more free. I'm guessing the listening time is up just across the board. Yep, yep. That's and that's that's been the case for me. I think it's the case for a lot of people, and uh, especially being home and just needing that kind of background noise or something. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do, I will say the pandemic changed. Uh, I think my for a while my podcast listening went down. I don't have a long commute, not in Sioux Falls, <laughs> but I heard that across the country, people who lost that thirty minute train ride or mm -hmm. that 
even the traffic, right, where they were listening to podcasts as they drove to work. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how that comes back. Yeah, we kind of wondered how that was going to impact our, our pledge drive season yeah. for radio especially. But yeah. we found that, you know, we did start doing kind of news podcasts and, and things like this, but actually it seems almost like people, because they were home, they just had it on all day long at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're maybe listening to it a little more intently. Because do you think about that, times. how to package your story? I know that, like, they always say TED Talks. <laughs> are about like 16 to 20 minutes and that's because of like the average american commute is like 18 minutes. Oh yeah. And I don't know if they if that if that was intentional but I've heard that that's part of like you know and it forces most people to give a talk in an hour, right? Mm-hmm. Like you go give a speech at a conference or an event and like you have an hour. Mm-hmm. But what's be- the beautiful thing of saying now you have 20 minutes is like you really just get the best stuff. Right. You have to cut everything else. So how do you think about that in your your hour show? Oh, that's it's very true, and uh, that's that's been another real challenge, especially because we don't have like those uh, little underwriting breaks or anything. Like it's just a set hour go leap yeah. into it. Yeah. How do we how do we uh, kind of keep the pace but still go as in depth as we need to go? And that's something we're still figuring it out. Yeah. Figuring it out. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, I think as we keep keep continuing on with that pace, it's finding that sweet spot between almost leaving them wanting more and looking at Twitter because I kind of lost the yep. pace of the conversation. <laughs> yep. Yep. How do you keep the, the, the pace, the focus? Yeah. So when you think about that one hour show and, and thinking about, I'll selfishly ask you these questions since, <laughs> so I can be a better podcaster. How do you prep your, like your editorial process and thinking through that story, the guests that you're going to have? What do you, are you a, um, here are all my questions. I'm going to mow through them. I'm going to adapt and go as, so I'm married to a journalist and uh, she can't stand sort of my like lack of preparation. (laughs) Uh, But I think, and she's super talented. And I think there's, there's somewhere there's, there's, there's a balance of both. So how do you think about it? There is a balance. I like to kind of go in with uh, sort of a bullet point list of either topics or questions that I know for sure I want to ask and I write them down so I don't forget. Yep. But I also try to strike that balance of uh, having a vague guide for the conversation, but not getting so wrapped up in hitting certain questions that I'm not actually listening to what the person is telling me. Yeah. Because I want to be able to sort of actively ask follow-up questions that make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I yeah. felt that way. You know, most, the majority of the shows have been on Zoom, both mm-hmm. because, mainly because of COVID, but also we don't just have South Dakota guests. Mm. And... I just massively, like massively prefer this style, right? Where we can yeah. sit across the table and and really not talk on top of each other, but respond, like react, like mm-hmm. agree, disagree, you know, that type of thing. Right. And it, yeah, and it, it kind of, it, it, it sort of varies with the tone between like a, a podcast like this versus when I'm supposed to be like host and informer, capital yeah. J, journalist. Like I don't <laughs> want to seem like too much of a buddy with yeah, sure. whoever I'm on with, but sure. still like be be relatable and my my editor calls it being sort of an advocate for your show or an advocate for the listener. Interesting. Um, and, that, and that's how I yeah, exactly. That's how I kind of try to think about it. Not yeah. not a surrogate necessarily for the audience, but sort of a, you know, hey, my 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 folks want to know the answer to yeah. this kind of thing. <laughs> what would what question do that would they be asking if they were here? Right. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. And do you find with the guests, can you tell I bet you can tell pretty quickly if they're going to be a I have lots to share. I'm going to have long run on answers or they're going to be like, yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's, that's the terror. <laughs> I know I, I always sweat a bit more with the, 
uh, short answers and figuring out how to build that relationship. Yeah. And that's where the art of the pre-interview is something I'm still working on. Got it. Because it's so easy just to email, be like, hey, do you want to come on the show? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get better at, you and know, you try to calling people. Gauge that based on, yeah, like their email response or how much they talk on the phone. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, especially on on the phone. And if they're nervous, they'll be like, do you have any questions for me? Or yeah. things like that. I definitely feel this way about TV. I suppose it's the same with radio. But, you know, you think about even like a show like SportsCenter or something, when they kick it to, you know, here we are at the NFL draft and they kick it to the guy and, and who's going to give his, con- it's all like these sound bites, right? They're yeah. like real packet, like, is there? Do they teach? Is there an art of how long those responses should be? Because when, <laughs> when I'm on public radio, I'm sometimes like, was that too long? Was it too short? I never know. It, it, that'll kind of vary on the editor you work with. Like I, I kind of come from the school of thought, partially from my teachers at USD and a little bit my editor that I work with at SDPB. Just like once you hit twenty seconds, you start to lose people. Yeah. And that's hard for me because there are some people that go on for about a minute and a half and I think it's all golden, yeah. but then I don't have time to put it in the newscast. Yep. So it's it's finding the right places for those things and, mm-hmm. and being able to judge, like, do I really need the full minute and a half or is that 25 seconds the actual golden bit yeah. that I can write around then? Like, I just feel like real good TV uh, people almost think in like 20 second bits, mm-hmm. you know, like you can almost tell they have an internal clock of like when they're going to finish. Yep. And the marketer in me thinks that way too, because I'm like, okay, I want to pull that quote out that little bit and put it on Instagram or put it on Twitter. Right. Mm-hmm. And like kind of split the show, divide the show up into all these other pieces of content. But right. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of striking that balance between, I know that I only have a certain amount of time to tell this story in a newscast situation. Uh, but, I might hold on to that longer bit and give it to Lorient in the moment or some sure. other program where yep. we have a little bit more space and yeah. and kind of spread it all over the place so yeah. people have all kinds of <laughs> in in routes to get to that story. Yeah. And I I yeah, that's great because I totally as that's what we do at Lemonly, right? It's like we yeah. condense and simplify and clarify through visuals. But I also understand that like that's how the world thinks and the brain wants to process, but there's sort of a lost uh it's easy to only get fractions of the story too, which is sort mm-hmm. of what we were talking about earlier. Like, hey, you don't have the whole facts. You don't know yeah. the whole story. Like, listen to the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah, there's there's that urgency of skimming the headlines and in our Twitterverse and things like this. Yep. But I think deep down, and maybe not that deep down, there is that thirst for actual understanding and in-depth connection with these stories. So we've talked a lot about storytelling and, <laughs> and uh, you know, COVID and the media. And I want to transition here as we wrap toward leadership what have you learned? Uh, maybe some of the leaders you've interviewed in the past. Have, have you gleaned anything about some of the great leaders through your being a journalist? I think, um, to me, the people that uh, are great leaders are people who are somehow able to strike that delicate balance between um, being honest and human, but not being sort of that lowest form of that, if that makes any sense. So like in a time of uncertainty, like COVID, um, the leaders I came to respect the most weren't the people that were downplaying the situation, but they also weren't the people that were in crisis mode. It was somewhere in the middle of, this is a situation, there's a lot that we don't know. What we do know is this, and and moving forward, being sort of that, that steady sort of voice of reason listening to the people who have a stronger understanding and being sort of that conduit between yeah. 
you know, the the conference room of doctors in the in the crisis situation and the everyday person who's trying to figure out just how to how to keep their kids going through a weird school year yeah. and continue on with their own life while we're all living through, frankly, a mass trauma event. Yeah. So rec- like they recognize what they don't know, but mm-hmm. yet they they communicate it in a way people can relate to and understand. That probably makes right. your job easier than as the journalist too. Yeah, I would love that so much. <laughs> Sometimes like trying to, you know, uh, uh, call attention to certain things without without uh, seeming to either support or or not support certain leadership styles. It's like a weird delicate balance from what people want from you as a journalist, but also me as a person. Sometimes I'm just sitting there at my computer like slamming on my desk thinking, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Or do you feel like as a team of journalists or as a department, a group of, 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 of colleagues, do you find that like you, you tend to describe or tell the story of leaders in the same way? Do they become these personas? Or, mm-hmm. or like you mentioned about being kind of just their authentic self, basically? Or do these leaders sometimes get these larger-than-life you know, personas when they're covered in the media? Um, I think especially with local leaders, it, it, it really depends. And a lot of these statewide situations is just like last name when we're talking amongst ourselves in like the newsroom chat yeah. <laughs> or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's just like last name said this. Oh, how about that? And then yeah. we just kind of continue on with our day. Yeah. A lot of the most inspirational uh, folks that we talked to were some of the like small town mayors and people who um, were in some ways almost more authentic because of – not being on that broader scene necessarily and having yeah. to face these extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. And those are the people that I think we enjoyed having on most of all, just because it felt more like that middle ground connection with people. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to ask you with, I was a communication major in college and I don't remember a ton from school, but <laughs> I do feel like I got a lot of repetition, like writing papers and giving presentations. And But I remember there was this theory of like on stage, off stage, and they talked about, um, you know, like uh, I remember in the in the Nixon and, and Kennedy election, like what was such a stark contrast between the two was they finally had a TV interview, right? And mm. and I think it was like I think Kennedy wore makeup and, and was on yep. stage and look and Nixon was you know just looked old and tired and, <laughs> and flustered. And so, and, uh. But back then you could then be you could kind of go off air and then be off stage and yeah. be a different type of leader. Like you kind of had to be you know turn it on when you're on stage. And so the theory I remember the discussion was around at best in today's world, you can maybe be side stage, like, mm-hmm. but you can never really be off, right? So it's right. like President Obama wore a tan suit, right? And that was like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like that was big news. Yeah. Um, I think really hard about what I put on which social media accounts yeah. and posts yeah. I'm liking and stuff. Cause so yeah. I think where I'm headed is do leaders then become more of these personas or more guarded or like, are they willing to, sh- to speak to their honest truth to you in a story or an interview? Because be- they're just always on. Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, and I'm not sure I have a great answer for that based on my experience so far, because uh, most of the time when I'm talking to some of these like capital L leaders, yeah. almost yeah. it's, it's in like that kind of on stage press conference scenario. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in, in sometimes like talking points. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah, so I'd be excited someday to do like almost like that sort of embedded profile kind of thing and just be like, who are you actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I'm just thinking, and maybe that's what I'm trying to circle around is like you probably get to know, you almost or almost expect what they will say. Yes. And then when you get a different answer, I'm sure that's a little like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Was that real or was that who you are? You know, like. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and when that happens, the rare time, 
it, you get that kind of surprise, it it just makes me laugh all the way home. Like sure. it makes me so giddy. I'm like, yes, we got that. We got that <laughs> bit. Good. <laughs> and not even in a gotcha. It's just sometimes no, like a, yeah, just the like, yes, you're a person. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I think that speaks back to your your answer about the leaders you like to, to mm-hmm. talk to, for mm-hmm. sure. Cool. Well, that was awesome. Let's let's go to a little. Uh, we'll finish a little rapid fire about you, just so the audience gets to know you more. <laughs> and, and I think you know, being a journalist in in twenty twenty one is being a leader. You have a certain role to play in that story. Um, but we you know we need it more than ever, as we've as we talked about. So, um, I don't know if you're uh, you're a journalist, but are you a reader? And if so, what's a book you recommend to people? Um, let's see. What's the latest book I read? I kind of took a break off of reading, but what's a book I recommend? Um, honestly, like my favorite uh, memoir that I've read in recent years was uh, Elton John's hmm. <laughs> <Me Interesting. laughs> memoir. Yeah, and I, uh, just because it kind of took me out of that place and into uh, this is music that I've always loved. This is the person behind it. Yeah, and and uh, getting to imagine people that I've. Uh, thought about in that like big star power way, just as everyday people working through certain struggles and sure. finding that. Yeah, I yeah. like memoirs. That's cool. Yeah. Um, you in particular, as we discussed, were all in on the COVID. Uh, you know, being around it, work. Mm-hmm. It was your job. So, how did you unplug or de-stress this last year? I read a lot. Okay. Yeah, because I, I had to force myself like, don't be on social media if you're not working. Yeah. Because otherwise it was just doom scrolling forever. <laughs> so I, I I reread almost the entire Chronicles of Narnia series. I was going to guess and, probably fiction. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah fiction and a couple Star Wars novelizations and memoirs and just jump back. Especially going back to like childhood books was like really comforting to me. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like the better day, right? A yeah. better time. <laughs> <laughs> like finding some of those allegories and things that, you know, when I'm nine, I'm not thinking about. But sure. now as an adult, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> That's great. Um what do you think is your superpower as a as Jackie or, or journalist, whatever? Like, just as you as a person, we ask that question at Lemonly. What do you do best, better than anybody else? Hmm. This is one of those uncomfortable questions because the yeah, things, that's the the, point. The, the, yeah, I know <laughs> things. The things I want to say, I'm like, ooh, you have to like, brag about are yourself. Are you allowed to say that about yourself? But the the first thing that came to my mind is I feel that I am a good, active, empathetic listener. And I think that serves me well in this job. Yeah, I bet. So I, I've, because I really do like emotionally connect with the vast majority of people that I talk to uh, in this job. And is it hard then to separate yourself from the story? Yeah, like on on especially on like difficult. Like I I interviewed a man in the in the hospital with COVID, and about a month later, he passed. Hmm. And that's kind of that hung over me for a while sure. and 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 a lot of other stories you know people and i ended up interviewing his wife not too long later and that story hasn't wow. come out yet just because with changing jobs and things but she and i sat on the phone and cried together hmm. but i think it's important to you know be a person and not just a capital j journalist because as much as you want that human voice to add that sort of spark to your stories People want that back from you because as much as people know that they're being spun to, they also know when they're being taken advantage of. Yeah, that's really good. And I think there's a, a lesson for, you know, there's a perception of journalists in kind of that, like trying to get you or trying to catch you. Right. Like, I've just, I think my wife is like one of the 
she's a she's a crier. Like she's got a huge heart, yeah. right? She's and <laughs> whether it be sports or she's started out in sports and then news like she gets pretty invested in those people and in those stories. Now you can't on the job. You got to do, yeah. do your job. But I think when you come home, right, and yeah. rewatch that or listen to someone else's work. Yep. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a really good point. And I think there's something there for all in the spirit of, for all jobs, all leaders. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you sit and listen with true empathy and listen like you care and not just like you're get, like going to the next question, like you said? Right, yeah. That's great. So the last one we ask are, who are the leaders who have inspired you, whether you know them, you've read about them, you've interviewed them? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big ones that comes to mind is my colleague, Lori Walsh. Mm-hmm. Like I tell my friends, I want to be great. Lori Walsh when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> she has come to be such a, a treasured friend for me. And, and as we kind of, now that I'm in my own hosting role, like we kind of talk about, you know, how do you take care of yourself after these really grueling interviews? Yeah. And to me, she is a, a wonderful role model of, striking that balance between being the journalist asking the hard questions and being the person who's able to, you know, uh, be just to have that human connection with people when they're sharing authentic moments with you and say, yeah, we've got a microphone in front of us. That's kind of weird, but like, I appreciate you trusting me with your story. And like, that's, I'm a safe person to share that with. So, yeah, so friend and mentor. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Well, um, you know, nowadays, wherever you're listening to this show, uh, we can follow journalists all over. So how does somebody follow your work if they want to hear your stories? Yeah. Easiest way is on Twitter, at Jackie Hendry SD. And okay. I'm trying to now, out of uh, complete COVID crunch, be more regular <laughs> when I'm posting, but that's the easiest way. Cool. Perfect. Well, this was a blast. Thanks for coming down. And um, yeah, this is, this is fun. Thanks, Jackie. Hey, thanks so much. It was an honor. And that is our show with Jackie. Jackie, thanks for coming on the show and taking some time. Remember, we drop new episodes of the Lead More podcast every Thursday. And I would love, love if you could subscribe to the show. So go on Apple, hit that subscribe button. That helps us so much. It helps us rank higher and helps other people find the show. And you can leave us a review if you want to, too. But new episodes every Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts, take care and be well.